that the more someone tells me I can't do something, the more fired up I get and the more I'm going to go and make sure I prove them wrong. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Nicole Bunyan, founder of Running Mums Australia. Each episode, I will be speaking to everyday women who have an inspiring story to tell. We will cover the highs and lows of their own journey, the impact motherhood has had on their life, and how running has inspired them to live wilder, dream bigger, and change the world around them. Thank you for joining us on this new adventure that will hopefully leave an imprint for you to live out your own life inspired to conquer goals you never thought possible. On this episode of the RMA podcast, I talk to RMA ambassador, mum and Olympian, Lisa Waitman. We talk about all things parenthood, surviving lockdown during the coronavirus, her journey from childhood into running and her rise to perform at the highest levels of her sport at the Olympic Games and other competitions around the globe. We discuss what running means to her and how she has dealt with setbacks and adversity as she sought to compete at her highest level, the role of women in sport and how parenthood has been her most rewarding journey so far. I really love this conversation with Lisa. I love that she's real and authentic. I love that she gets right down into the nitty gritty of being a mother and shares this on her social media platforms. She's a powerful advocate of women in sport, passionate at what she does, and truly believes that anything is possible if we put the hard work in. I really love this conversation. I love talking about Lisa's life and I love discussing running with her, in which she refers to as her hobby. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Lisa. Welcome to the RMA podcast. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be on. So I thought we would just start by talking about what's been going on in your world at the moment. So do you want to fill everybody in in how the last few months have been for you and your family, given coronavirus and everything we've had to deal with since, well, I guess late February. Now we're in July. Yeah, so we were fortunate to, Locke and I uh, went over to Japan and, and went to Osaka together for the for a, an extended weekend and I ran the qualifying time for Tokyo Olympics. So we just squeezed that in. I think the whole COVID uh, Wuhan outbreak just uh, came about on the weekend that we were actually in Osaka running the marathon. So I guess the positive there is that we were really grateful to have that opportunity to run the qualifier and have a really good experience in Osaka. Uh, and then obviously everybody's world's turned upside down from then on. Um, mostly, I think that the most difficult part of COVID for me is not the Olympics being cancelled. It's about Pete and Pete not being able to experience prep and all the other children, you know, around the world who are uh, now experiencing COVID as the new norm for their childhood. Um, so I think that's been the most upsetting for me. And and now being a Victorian and, a, and right in the heart of Melbourne, 
and with the woes that we have here back in lockdown and with the cases rising again, uh, that's been the thing that's sort of really hit home and really been upsetting. And I've certainly had a few tears last week when I heard the kids wouldn't be able to go back to school again because, um, you know, that's a, a you know, all school children should be at school and socialising and learning new things and having that opportunity. And so for now, our little Melbourne folk not being able to get out and meet their friends, I think that's the heartbreaking piece uh, that we're all dealing with down here. Uh, yeah, so, and it's it's mad down here. I mean, on our local path uh, where I've been training pretty much all my life, uh, you know, it's chaos. There's families out walking and kids mucking around on the bike path, nearly getting run over by, you know, all these bike zooming paths that I've barely ever seen before. Uh, so it's really actually kind of dangerous down on the path at the moment. So we've been trying to head out north uh, along some of the back streets and because you're just not seeing as many people and not needing to jump on the road and, and things like that to get out of the way. So we've had to change a lot of our training venues and just, uh, just to try and keep safe and keep away from others. Yeah, yeah. it's really, really sad time. And with Pete, like, because Pete's your only child at the moment. And I guess he just started, when did he start prep? It was only. Yeah, it's just the, uh, yeah. So he started, had, you know, however long it was before it all went to homeschool. And yeah, so then the exciting, the excitement he had to walk back in the gate. And, uh, you know, Pete, he's a social butterfly, my child, and he's so full of life and full of energy. And uh, I think his school report actually came back last week and it said something like Pete just bounds brightly into the classroom every morning uh, and wow. that's Pete and so yeah to know now that he has to go back to homeschool and he can't go and do that with his friends and his teachers is yeah is is the thing that's upsetting me the most out of all of this uh, yeah. apart from obviously we don't want anyone to be unwell and sick and we want everyone to be with us but in terms of the inc you know inconveniences I think that's the the one that's upsetting the most and also you know it doesn't you know limit the fact that we all desire that social connection and that goes right down to the little ones like they do too and they learn so much from being around their peers and and learning so many things at prep or at school and then to have that and to have like a few weeks of that and then it's all taken away and you're back home and you're you're trying to you know teach them and and, and work and all those things that you're so used to have just gone out the window and now yeah. like a, a new reality. How have you dealt with that in terms of your own family dynamic and, and working? Because I know both you and Locke work. Like how have you worked that out with Pete as well? Yeah, so over the last five years of his life, we have been very lucky to have great parent support. So uh, I see my mum and dad, you know, it, almost every day and, and my mum and Peter just like little best friends. Uh, but keeping mum and dad safe has been quite, you know, has been top of priority for us. And so I've been missing my parents so much, even though they only live 500 metres away, we, we haven't been able to spend time together. So that's been a, a huge um, disadvantage for all of us in this house. And um, yeah, my mum was so has been so great. You know, she'd cook for me two nights a week as well, and so now I'm up, now I'm trying to cook seven days a week, and you know, oh not do takeaway and not go out for dinner, and it's like, oh my god. <laughs> so yeah, so I'm missing my yeah my parents the most, and uh, yeah, we were going to head up uh, to Ballarat where Locke's parents uh, last week, but we got uh, put into lockdown, so we weren't allowed to travel. 
uh, with the special borders they put up. So we couldn't go up to them either and see them. So mm -hmm. that's been that, those those family things. We're really close family, and that's how we've been able to run. Is is quite honestly just with this family support uh, because I work, you know, for for almost uh, almost five days a week uh, for IBM and locks with ANZ Bank. And uh, as soon as COVID hit, we were fortunate that we were both able to work from home, uh, but that meant super long days. Though so I'd get up really early and start working at six in the morning to get all all of my work done and and then start homeschooling at nine o'clock. So. Um, yeah, and then in the evening, submitting all of the work for a preppy onto yeah. onto PowerPoint was pretty big. So I uh, I actually taught Pete how to do PowerPoint. So now he's like a PowerPoint whiz. So oh, there's great. been some really good uh, good things that have come out of it, I guess. But yeah, well, I'd rather he be playing outside. And new skills for Pete. Like now you're a teacher as well as a consultant. Oh, I know. It's crazy. <laughs> now he can do PowerPoint. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So I don't know. It's not, there are some positives out of all of this, but yeah, I'm sure we're all desperate to down here to get back to that. Even that few weeks where we had the opportunity for the kids to go to school and, and yeah. uh, Locke and I got to run at lunchtime together. That was pretty nice. Very yeah. much a novelty. What did you feel like, you know, because we had that first lockdown where most of the country was locked down and then when everything started to open up again and then now this next lockdown for mostly Melbourne people, I mean, I think it's coming to New South Wales probably sooner than we think. Um, what what kind of emotions did you feel when that was the second time round? Like, did you think, oh, no, here we go again? Like, yeah, pretty much uh, that and just uh, when you're seeing a whole lot of people who are not really taking it seriously, um, a whole lot of things around the place that, you know, could be prevented, but they're, but they're not. And, and, and just, I feel for people like, like my family, where we're doing things, you know, doing things the right way. And, um, but we're still, you know, we're still in this mess, but, and also the rest of the country opening up. I mean, we've got footy games in Perth and things like that. We're definitely it doesn't feel like we're all in it together in Australia. You know, it feels like we're, we're the poor Melburnians and, you know, the, the piranhas down here and everyone else is just getting on with their life. That's so that's quite hard for, for everyone to, to deal with, but you know what, <laughs> it's one good thing about being a runner and being a marathon runner is that we're used to long hauls. We're used to long buildups of training. We're used to getting through really tough times. And, uh, and so hopefully all of that, training I've had over the last 20 years or something uh, will uh, put me in good stead to deal with this next six weeks. Absolutely. And that mm -hmm. mental resilience, I think that we can draw on from, um, especially, you know, being a runner all your life and being able to train your mind to withstand painful periods for long periods of time. Um, you know, I'm sure that's going to come in handy, but at the same time, it's, it is, um, it does feel unfair. I'm sure that, that Melbourne seems to be locked down and everybody else seems to be going about their days. But I don't, I think that, you know, before we know it, if people have that mentality, it's going to just sweep back through our whole country. So that's right. We all need yeah. to be aware of what we need to do to stop it. That's um, right. Yeah. So yeah. The more people that do the right thing, the better. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Cause everyone wants to get back to races and seeing each other and hugging each other and celebrating and doing all that fun stuff that you know we're so accustomed to so definitely hopefully it's not too far away hopefully not so let's <laughs> just talk quickly about that so you went and you qualified and you got the qualifier for Tokyo which you'd worked so hard to get over these last 12 months and 
do you want to just before we go back into your journey prior to all of this stuff um, and where you started let's just quickly go back into how did that qualifier come about what was the lead up to that in the last say 12 to 18 months um, and how did you feel when you finally got it yeah look i had i've had lots of periods of ups and downs in a good way you know like lots of planned down periods just to be able to do you know mum stuff and to be able to work and and keep all the different parts of my life going so i'm a firm believer that you can't do everything well at the same time you've got to you know plan and and be able, be okay with something being not as good at the time to allow you that moment to lift something else so um that's how i've been able to plan my running and and why some some periods i might be running really well and other periods I'm just sort of chugging along. So that's how I've kept a very long career going um, despite that. But um, look, I started, I think we had a pretty big break. Um, we ran Com Games in 2018 and, um, and that went well. And then we focused on a few other things after that. And I had the opportunity later that year to run in, um, in New York and I, and I was really excited to have that opportunity, but I wasn't, like I said earlier, I wasn't in my peak training. I certainly wasn't putting in the same work that I had for Com Games because I just needed a break. Um, but I ran, I was really happy. I think that's when uh, these carbon plate shoes came out. So I ran really well, I think mostly because of the carbon plate shoes more than the work that I was putting in. Um, and yeah, it was really fun, <laughs> really fun trip. And then, um, and then we were really keen to get moving again and, and hit some really, uh, really big goals and that's what last year was all about so I was able to then run a you know 5k park run PB and uh, the 10k in Sydney and uh, big PB in Adelaide and the 12 and and uh, you know Gold Coast was meant to be a really good race but I ended up rolling my ankle so that kind of you know put a spanner in the works there um, but I think that made me hungrier having that experience on the Gold Coast uh, and that set us up for a really great race on the sunny coast. And I was in such great shape then. I knew it was going to be a pretty good day. So, um, yeah, and then we had the opportunity. We decided that financially we were in a position where we could, um, you know, take a month off work. And so we we stayed up on sunny coast. And that was the best thing we have ever done. Um, you know, we had a, a wonderful time and created such great memories and just really experienced just focusing on running for that time. And uh, so everything was going really well in the lead up from there to run Chicago and to run a really fast time. So, you know, training, everything was spot on. Um, and so then in Chicago, it was really disappointing to then get food poisoning um, and uh, not, and yes, and then not, not really capitalise on that marathon. But uh, once again, that just gave me that drive to achieve the goal, like a bit similar to the Gold Coast, Sunny Coast piece and, um, yeah, so I ended up having a week off, I think it was, um, flew back and we got straight back into training for, um, for Osaka, which was only a couple of months later. So we trained like crazy. I'd never done that before. I'd always had a break after a marathon, but I hadn't ran the second half of the marathon very quick because I was vomiting for like 12K in Chicago. Um, so I, um, I ended up... Uh, coming back and my legs were fine so we we basically just got straight into training again as soon as we got off the plane and it worked out really well I negative split in Osaka and had a really good run and I think it was my, my second best time um, I didn't go out 
with the lead pack because they went out in under 220 and I was a little bit scared to you know do it on my own so um yeah it was a really fun experience in Osaka and and I got the time and then the idea was to then go and try and run faster again in April in London but we all know what happened there so (laughs) now we're just yeah Yeah. now we're doing other things (laughs) yeah that's right just going back to your Chicago experience, because I think it would be really interesting to find out how you felt. You've trained up, you've done all the work and you feel really prepared and ready and you were really ready. And then to have that happen, and I know we were all watching you from home and we we're so excited and we thought she's going to do it. And then it was like, what's happening? Like, And I guess for people watching and following, like it's hard to know what's going on because well, you can't tell us you're on the other side of the world, but how did you feel? Like, were you, were you really like, can you actually let that into your head or are you so in the game that you just have to make it to the finish line? Like I know at the time, were you thinking I had food poisoning or were the time were you thinking like, have I done something wrong with my nutrition? Like what, what was going through your head at that time? Yeah. So I started the race and look now that I, once later in the race, obviously it started to dawn on me, but I'd never really had any, you know, bathroom troubles the morning of a race, but I'd had a little bit of trouble, uh, you know, just in the bathroom and thought, oh, it just must be a bit of nerves. And it's not something that normally happens. Everything's pretty, pretty much on point with all of that and all my nutrition. So I wasn't expecting anything uh, of that. But, you know, I got on the start line and Chicago, because you run under a bridge at the start, your satellites are all a bit out. So you don't really know how fast you're going. You can go a little bit too quick in that first bit, but it wasn't, I kind of had that in the back of my head. And um, so I was kind of quite controlled in that first 10K. And I remember um, just thinking, just running, because I remember just running on my own at this point, because Lachlan was originally going to pace me for the for the marathon, but he did his sacrum. Um, just just before the event and so that kind of turned everything upside down but uh, I knew I was in really good shape so I had super huge expectations and off I went running along and I remember being uh, at sort of about 20k thinking okay this pace is good I'm okay uh, we'll be right and then at about 25 I started to get this real really tight pain just um, at the bottom of my rib cage. I thought that's a bit odd. So I didn't take any nutrition at that point because it was feeling a bit uncomfortable. So I just got some water. Uh, and then after that, it just got worse. And so from then on in, um, it was that grappling between wanting, knowing I needed some fuel, but knowing I couldn't hold it in. And so, and then I grossly um, just started projectile vomiting. Um, and in my head, the only thought was I was just so disappointed. Like I, I did, I didn't know how whether I would get to the end based on how I was feeling. But I kept thinking, hey, maybe if I can get rid of it, and I can keep going, I might still run alright because I was, you know, I'd ran so well for the first half. So I thought, oh, you never know, it might just be a pain and a pocket, and I might be able to get rid of it, go again. And um, but it just kept, just like food poisoning does, it just kept coming in waves. So I'd be okay for, you know few minutes and then it'd come again and um yeah and so uh, I don't know I don't know why I even finished to be honest but you just kind of the thought of just being stuck out in this road somewhere uh as well is also hard to grapple with like I thought 
if I stop, I'm just kind of stuck and then mm. alone and, you know, and I didn't want to be that either. So, uh, yeah. So I think just, it's just inbuilt in me to just need to get to the end. That's just kind of how I felt. Like I just have to get to the end and I'll be, someone will be there. And, um, and even that was a marathon. I got to the end and I got taken to this other part of the course and then I got put on a golf cart and it took a very long time before I ended up in medical and looked after by the doctors there. And, um, so it was hours and hours before I even got back to Lock and Pete. Uh, but all these, all you guys will understand. I got back to the hotel after all this ordeal and I walked into the hotel room and Pete said, hey, mum, look what I found. I've got this game. Do you reckon you could play with me? And you should have seen me. I had, you know, I looked no. like a wreck. And I was just, I thought, you know what, that's just the, you know, that's just perfect perspective. Yeah. You know, he's just, he's the same and it's a race and there'll be another one and you mm. just, you know, just let's play. So, yeah, yeah so that's. Through Pete's little eyes, that's what it is. He just sees mum run. This is just what mummy does. and That's right. Life. Like, that's right. It's just normal life. Exactly. Yeah. Or you're yeah. dying in the background. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Don't show them There's that. There's no rest for mothers, that's for sure. That's just right. Just a marathon, get food poisoning, but you still have to play the game at the end. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I love it. Well, let's go back to your childhood because I'd really love to have a little bit of insight into what that was like. What were you active as a child? Where did, did you grow up down where you are now? And yeah, I grew up exactly a few streets away from where, you know, now I'm living in a house that's only a few streets away from mum and dad's and they're still in our childhood house. And uh, yeah, so my sister and I have been super active forever, played netball, all the traditional tennis, traditional girl stuff. And um, I started running not seriously until I was about 16 in terms of national level as a junior, but uh, I always ran cross country and I thought it was a bit strange to go out and run in the rain because obviously, you know, in Melbourne, it was always cold and we'd run yeah. in these mud piles and I didn't really enjoy that much, but uh, eventually I found my passion for it. Um, I guess I started, I started playing, getting into sport because my dad was in, into footy. So my dad played for Fitzroy back when, you know, now the Brisbane team, but, and so my sister and I grew up going to the football every Sunday. So it was pretty active family and we were very much part of that whole football family kind of upbringing and, um, and when I was a bit older, I'd go and do preseason training with dad's footballers. And so I was safe because running around the streets as a youngster on your own wasn't very safe. So I'd go and do stuff like that. Uh, and I started running 1500s and 3K on the track. And uh, But then I spent sort of my 20s, my early 20s with injuries. So I was trying to work and, and train and have a part-time job and, you know, get a degree and all of that stuff. And it just took a bit of a toll on me so I never really found my potential until I moved up into the half and and the marathon and then got consistently training and then I stopped getting so many injuries and mm. it all came from there hmm. so was it so you were did you do like little athletics and then into the seniors or was it just no I just went straight to seniors I I started in I think I was about 15 I actually started with my running club and my nephew's now running with my Mm -hmm. my junior coach Jeff and which is lovely uh, mm -hmm. it's nice sort of full circle but 
back then they didn't have any girls in the team. So I joined the boys team and made up the fourth leg of the relay. So it was pretty scary, to be honest. I remember thinking, oh, what have I done when I was going to go to my first training session with all yeah. the boys? Um, you yeah. know, they had all the levels of boys and no girls. And here I am, I rock up like nipple skirt or something and uh, <laughs> and ran and joined the boys team and yeah so it was really good for me because from then on in because all of the Australian distance runners we're all dispersed across the country mm. um, I spend most of my time training with Locke and mm. and with other boys uh, from, from the club and so it's kind of put me in good stead I think being used mm. to running with with males all the time so yeah, yeah. do you think that that has changed now like went from when you were younger and you were training with the boys uh to now if you look around is the participation of girls a lot more prominent absolutely and at the club now i think there's more girls than boys so mm. across all the different disciplines of track and field but mm, yeah there's um there's actually it's actually better for my nephew because he's like one of very few boys compared to all the girls <laughs> the scales have What's turned <laughs> tipped i say yeah <laughs> what do you think's changed in terms of that like in terms of more girls being in that club or well, not particularly even that club but in participating with the girls what do you think has shifted over time uh, i think lots of things have come together so I know that, you know, in terms of football, like, you know, football's a huge thing for women now and which it just wasn't when, you know, I mean, we're not that old, but it wasn't when we were at school. And I know my sister would have loved to play. I mean, it's just be so wonderful for her now um, to have had that opportunity that the girls have now. But I think it's all about those opportunities that have been driven through different means. So with marketing, with sponsorship, with um, role models, you know, with art other women paving the way and just continually pushing the envelope and wanting more and more for girls. And that has helped us. Uh, I, I think it's all about that because I mean, the media still, um, you know, they still don't look after us as much as they should. And, and it's even like that from a general track and field and running perspective. Uh, we certainly don't get the coverage or the exposure and, and the good news stories that we should based on what we do and how much we put in. Um, but it's certainly nice to see that we've got an opportunity to at least support our own our own girls and push them along. You know, definitely. Mm. I think make it's it a trendy. Long way. Yeah. Mm. What do you think it is about track and field or running that doesn't get as much media coverage or support compared to other disciplines in sport? What do you think is the reason behind? I it? think a lot of that is about financial sponsorship. So all of those decisions around what they put in the media what's in the newspaper, what's out, what they believe sells um, as just a self-fulfilling piece, you know, that the more they, the more they put football and all the other things that have great sponsorship front, you know, in the forefront of, um, you know, television and newspaper, et cetera, um, then constantly the sponsors will get driven to that and, and we will constantly always be in the back, on the back foot, you know, so I think that just keeps, propagating and propagating and it's not um changing so and globally i think it's very similar so um i think the if you do track and field to be famous then you're doing it for the wrong reasons because it's yeah. <laughs> it's about it's about being a great role model it's about pushing yourself and finding you know how finding out about yourself really it's a real insight as to how fast for how far you're willing to go um despite any adversity that comes your way you know that's what running 
at other track and field events um, shows you, gives you that real chance to look inside. Absolutely. I think that's the lesson there, isn't it? That most runners will have a connection with that about yeah. how far they can go and what they find inside to keep them going. Um, yeah. Everybody has that kind of story. Yeah. For a runner. Okay. Well, let's just talk about now about the fact that women probably think that you're a bit of a super mum because you have all these roles. So you're a wife, you're an IBM consultant, you, you know, you're a runner, you're an Olympian, you're training really hard, you're a motivational speaker, you're also a performance coach. How do you do all those things? What is it about your personality that makes it possible to do those things? Or what is it about the way that you structure your life that makes it possible to do all those things? Well, I think that the first thing is, is that I prioritise things well. So that's that's first up. If you don't prioritise things, you just can't get anywhere and it becomes a big frazzled mess and then you get yourself really stressed out and start committing to too many things and then do them all really badly. So I think the first thing is, is to make sure you know what your limits are and prioritise the things that you need to prioritise. That's probably the first thing. Um, the second thing is... I don't push myself in every aspect at every given time. So there's a, always a plan of, and it's really challenging for everybody right now because no one knows when they can race again. So, you know, in normal times, <laughs> there'll be a race, there'll be an Olympics or a qualifying race or a PB that I'm chasing um, at, you know, one of our local events or, you know, and I'll have that as my, you know, my beacon and that's what I'm, preparing for and and I'll plan the rest of the year uh, to be either up firing at training or taking a break depending on what you know what I need to do so over the years I've learnt exactly how much training I can handle where I can push the envelope and what I need to drop if I need to when I need to push so uh, it's about experience and about uh, making sure that I don't get too hard on myself if I can't keep everything going at the same time yeah um, I think there's been, you know, I don't like to talk about sacrifices, but there's certainly things that my life, because I'm trying to do so many different things, I can't do everything, uh, you know, that I'd love to do for each of those things. So, for example, last year we took, you know, time off and went to Queensland so we could focus on running, you know, at a critical time. So we had that experience in life. Yeah. Um, if you're a full-time athlete, you do that all the time and that's your normal life. Uh, but then, you know, you're struggling to make ends meet. So that to me is not a good life and it's not a balanced experience. Yeah. So I never want to be in that position where I'm just constantly trying to find ways to make money through running. I want to make running my hobby and my passion and enjoy it. Uh, so, you know, it's it's making, it's being very clear on why you make those decisions and, and not getting upset about what you're missing out on, you know, not that, not worrying about fear of missing out on something, just focus on, well, this is my plan and I'm, I'm taking my life that way because that's going to be the best for our family. Yeah. Um, I think uh, the other part is I've been able to, um, I have, I haven't necessarily pushed my career at IBM through, you know, the traditional partnership model and, and chase that next level and next level. Um, at IBM as you would if your focus was 100% on a corporate career so I have I'm at I'm really enjoying my job and I love the role that I have you know have had in the last two years particularly the one that I've had 
that I have now since coming back from maternity leave. Um, and I get a lot out of it and I love working with the people in our team and, and really achieving some good stuff. Uh, but, you know, as a corporate um, consultant, I'd be, you know, you'd generally be looking to try and get partnership, et cetera, which would involve a lot of travel, which is something that I can't do when I'm running because I need to be home training. So there's always the trade-offs, I think, that, and down the track, then my corporate career, when I'm finished running at elite level, my corporate career can then take off again. So it's all of that understanding where you're at at the current position in your life and then flexing accordingly and being happy with that decision that you made. And then if you feel unhappy about it, changing it. So that's, that's how I've been able to do it. Um, and I love helping people. So there's a few people that have asked to that have had some injuries that have messaged me and said, can you help me get back to running? And so I might occasionally be able to help one or two people through that process. And, but I can't take on a full on coaching career as well as, you know, but maybe down the track, that's something I could do later. Yeah. So it's all about making those, you know, careful and considerate, you know, considered decisions and Mm. taking it along. It's all about different seasons. There's different seasons in our life and, we use lots of those seasons to learn and grow. So, you know, this might be the season where, you know, you're still learning, you're still using your career to keep you on that trajectory, but your running is also at the forefront. Who really knows what's going to happen with running in the next two years? You know, it could be that we get to the level we wanted to be at, or it could be that maybe the career takes over. I guess we'll just watch this space and see, but all the things that you've learned along the way, and all those lessons you've learned along the way to help you grow is going to serve each of those different parts of your life. So I think it's good that, you know, I see you as someone who has been able to do all those things, be successful in them. Success doesn't look like everybody is, has got it all amazing and all together. It's just that we're able to balance it That's um, right. and prioritize it and do, I guess, re- relatively well at each of those things as well. So that's right. Yeah. And the other part is having a great support network around you because, you know, on Friday we were going to report this, record this podcast and I was totally cooked from, <laughs> from my week at work and mum duties and running and, and I couldn't even barely hold my head up, uh, yeah. let alone have a podcast, let alone record a podcast, even though you're a beautiful friend, I just could not do it. And you were fine with that. And like, yeah, yeah, let's reschedule. And uh, knowing that you can just say no, you don't have Mm. to. uh, Sometimes we feel compelled, like we must do this and we, we cannot let that person down. And, you know, and there's some things in life you can't, you know, you can't, you still need to feed your children and all of that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that's right. We must still remember to do that. But, uh, but there's other things that if you've got a great support network, you feel comfortable that you can call it out and say, I'll just, I'm cooked, you know, please give me, give me a, um, a, a free pass. Yeah. Absolutely. The, the reason to be able to say no is a big one. Like I think so many of us, especially as mums, we do take on a lot. I think it's important to be able to learn to say no to things that don't serve us or are going to make us fall in a heap. Yeah. Um, I think especially as mums, that's a really big lesson to learn. So I wanted to just talk to you too about, so after you did, um, you know, you were doing seniors and you talked about going into the longer distance races before. So what made you interested in running those longer distances like half marathons? And then later on was London was your debut marathon. What made you interested in doing those longer distances? 
Was it more about the injuries or was there something no. about pushing yourself further that you were interested in? When I was younger and I started running with my dad, he'd run along and he would push the pace without me realising and I'd keep up and then he'd push it along and I'd keep up and he'd tell me later, hey, you know, that that's kind of what he was doing. I was probably just talking or something. Um, and, <laughs> and so he recognised that I had an engine and that, there was something there um and so he just said to me you know we'll support you and whatever you want to do and you know but we're not going to push you to do anything in particular um because I was a real study nerd and all that you know I really put a lot of pressure on myself to get good grades and I already had that innate uh ability to put pressure on myself and be a stress edge you know like so they didn't need to add any more on top of it um and so I ended up um because he gave me the confidence to know there was something there um, that gave me the intrigue to want to know how far I could push it. And that's where running started for me. Mm. And so because I would, I had my own little, you know, I had dad and I had my running coach and, and I wasn't doing that much training as a junior, but when I could pull something together, I'd run like I'd run well enough to know that there's something there, but it wasn't amazing. You know, I wouldn't win the race, but I'd come third in a, you know, national race or things like that. Uh, but then I'd get an injury. So I had like 10 stress fractures or something wow. um, over about nine years. Mm. So then I'd never get to that next level. So no one really rated me or thought that I was any good because I'd never really demonstrate that outside of my own circle. Um, and so then Dick Telford, who was a family friend, so he coached dad. Uh, football um, back when he was living here and uh, because he coached um, all the greats and he coached Lisa on who was my idol and uh, and so I approached him and asked him if he'd help me get out of this injury conundrum and he started helping me through that started mentoring me and uh, and then we eventually got to the point where I could uh, progress to you know pulling some good training together uh, and I got really good and made well, you know, got really good at avoiding injuries and and made it to world cross country, mm-hmm. and so that's where my international kind of exposure started. And mm-hmm. I ran world cross country, and uh, and then there were some targets set around if I could run a certain time for a half marathon, then I could try the marathon and stuff like that. So we sort of we ma- it was a long term plan to get from having injury all these terrible injuries to hey, one day I might run a marathon. But, um, yeah, so I went to uh, World Cross Country Championships in Glasgow in 08 and Lachlan said to me when I made that team, he said, why don't you stay on uh, over in uh, the UK and run the London Marathon because it was uh, 2008 and the Olympics was on that year and he said, you never know, just give it a go. So we went over, so I um, I got a start in the London Marathon, elite start, and it was all a bit surreal. And we went to the uh, the World Cross Country Champs and it was an awesome race. It was one of my my most fun experiences because we were, I was in a great team and we were running along and over the speaker in the last lap, they were announcing that if I was to beat the two Americans in front of me, if I could pass them, we were going to get the team bronze medal. And so they were announcing all of that over the speakers. I was running and I was, you know, busting my boiler to, to do that anyway. And so it was a, this great memory of me running and knowing that I could catch these two Americans and we were going to have a world medal, world championship medal and, uh, yeah, and celebrating with the girls and all of that. So I was on a real high from doing that. 
at World Cross and then two weeks later went on to basically just time trial lunge marathon. So I set off, I had no idea what it was going to be like. Some people had told me that you're going to get to 35k and feel like you can't go on. Uh, so I was running along the streets by myself to the clock, trying to run 232 and just, uh, yeah, just running along going, what am I doing? And I think five miles to go, this sleety headwind came. And so my, I felt like I could still keep going, but it was certainly not that easy in that last sort of five miles to finish just with the weather and the, the cold and the chill and the wind. Um, but it was a really great experience to do that. And to, and that earned me a spot at Beijing at the Olympics. So, Isn't that amazing? Yeah. so it was, uh, we'll <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Back, but... But next <laughs> wow. Yeah. My new question was when you realized you were serious about progressing. So obviously then that kind of made you think this is what I'm going to do. Like I'm going to, I'm going to keep, aiming for these things so what was the next step in that journey like when you got that qualifier well I think um we didn't have that much time and I wasn't training for the marathon I was training for the world cross so um I had no like I thought I could do I thought I might be able to do it but I really didn't know because I was wondering what was going to happen to me at this 35k mark that people had told me about Mm -hmm. um so it wasn't until I ran that race that I went, yeah, okay, if I train properly for this, I might do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but once again, look, to be quite honest, throughout my entire career and even now, um, you know, the the support structures around athletics and and all of that, I've always been the person that has been underestimated throughout my whole career, even now with all my achievements. Uh, and so, and that's fueled me a lot. And I guess people know that too, who know me really well, yeah. that the more someone tells me I can't do something, the more fired up I get and the more I'm going to go and make sure I prove them wrong. So, uh, and that's been my whole career and it shouldn't be that way, but that's been certainly been a large part of my motivation and why I'm still doing it and why I know, because I know and my team knows what I've been able to achieve um, is, you know, in training, etc., and in those events um, that, you know, we just keep striving for that next level. What is it that you think that makes them underestimate you? Like, I mean, you're amazing. <laughs> what is it that they? I don't know. You when you find that answer, yeah, I'd love I to know because I, I don't, I don't understand. But mm-hmm. you know, I guess, um, yeah, it's it's been it, that's the only sort of disappointing yeah. piece for me because, um, you know, I'm definitely someone who puts in two hundred percent the whole way through and. And anyone that knows me and the real me knows that and, you know, knows what drives me. And um, in the end, you know, if you worry about all of that stuff, you only take away from your own experience and you're not, you know, you don't get that full fun, positive, Mm. uh, you know, positive experience throughout that time. So, yeah, it's it's disappointing. But uh, the good thing is I always turn it around and make sure that it fuels me rather than hinders me. Mm. And I'm sure you draw from, you know, if you're not getting that support from the people that you really think you really need it from, then you're drawing that support from the people that really matter most anyway, which is your, That's right. and your friends. And then obviously your massive network of women that follow and support <laughs> and build you up. Like in the end, I guess that's, they're the loudest voice. That's <laughs> so. right. That's right. That's exactly right. And it's been amazing. Like being part of Running Mums Australia has been lovely experience you know just being able to and especially being at the events a bit more last Mm. year because there was a period where I was 
not racing as much um, locally. And so last year was great because I could physically meet more of the girls. And, and now, like, when, as soon as we went into lock, this second round of lockdown, like, you know, I had beautiful wim- women sending me notes and sending me homeschooling packs and yeah. um, telling me how much, you know, what can they do to help and, you know, feel, you know, that empathy and support for each other. It's, you know, that it's really special to have that uh, connection. So, yeah, it's hopefully like that will grow. Running, right? like That's right. That. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. yeah. We can complain to each other about anything and, you know, mm. just like girlfriends do. And, mm. uh, yeah, so it's been really great opportunity for that. And hopefully, yeah, I'm sure there's lots of women that feel that way and feel motivated and supported mm. through that process. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, I was reading on your website the exhaustive list of all the achievements that you've had over your career, uh, Olympic Games, marathons, world major competitions, Commonwealth Games, but also the injuries and the injustices that you've had along the way, including, you know, breaking your sacrum that Christmas, but then you know, beautifully during that time being able to conceive your child, Pete. I wanted to ask you, how did you keep going through all of those things? What made you keep lining up for more, especially when dealing with such setbacks along the way? Yeah, it was super disappointing, as you can imagine. But, you know, riddled throughout all of that is lots of disappointments and lots of pain and, you know, where you're almost there you know I mean we all know you know when you when you're almost there at something and then the rug gets taken away from under you and uh, that my career has been like that throughout the whole time and probably most athletes have have had that kind of career if they've been around for as long as I have Uh, and uh, like I said before I think a lot of the the way I kept going has been that I've had these goals in mind and I've known what I've produced in training. So I can go and look back at, you know, and talk to Dick and know what Lisa and Diki did in training. And I know what she ran and what she achieved. And I can say, you know, hand on heart through his experience and, and uh, what she did that I can do that too. And so, and, and that's very much about that whole women lifting other women and supporting each other because through Lisa, understanding what Lisa has done mm. has always given me the confidence that I can do it too. And so I'm still still chasing a couple of those goals um, that yeah. didn't happen in Chicago that should have happened based on, you know, everything I'd put in. Mm. Uh, so it's been, it's been about that. It's been never letting go so we're a long time retired and as you know as you mentioned 12 years can go by in a flash Mm. Uh, so I don't want to retire early um, and you know not give and not give it a crack and and not achieve those goals that that I know I'm still capable of so last year was obviously about we took the break uh, took a bit of a break we built a house because our house was like the back steps were falling down my dad had sticky taped the tiles on the shower because the shower tiles were falling off and oh my gosh. <laughs> you know like just uh, we and and he uh our floorboards had gaps in them in the kitchen so do we sticky tape the gaps rather than fixing it and mm-hmm. you know all that so we just got to a point where we just could not live like this anymore and we had to do something so uh Locke and I had to um you know do that too and and we've built a beautiful home and our forever home and 
unless we try and escape to Queensland. We're actually thinking yeah. about that right now. Uh, when the borders open up. I've got a good place to go. <laughs> Anyone <laughs> wants to stow away of three, we'll be quiet. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, yeah, so we thought it was our forever home, but maybe not. Uh, yeah, so it's been... Um, it's been fueled by a lot of, you know, a lot of things it's been fueled by, I know I can do it and I want to get, you know, I want to get it done. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew I could break 32 minutes one day in 10K if I focused on it. So last year we focused in that middle of the year on the 10K speed and the half speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, we ticked that box and I know that, you know, I've probably got, based on the way I ran Sunshine Coast and what I had left and the negative split, I've got more there too. So Hopefully we can, you know, next year pull out another half of another yeah. PB if everything else is remains equal. And mm-hmm. and certainly the marathon, like now that with the Osaka, um, you know, I, I didn't go out as hard because there wasn't that sort of second pack in, in about the range that I could handle. Yeah. Um, so my first half was really slow, uh, but my second half I came through like a steam train. So mm-hmm. uh, I know it's there. I know as long as I'm in that training shape, I can... I'll be able to do it. So it's just yeah. about getting that opportunity and that's what's driven that's what's driven me. And then a little bit of fire in terms of how, you know, you know, how could you not support, you know, how could you be supporting all the other female distance runners in the country um, and not be supporting me when, you know, with my history and, you know, yeah. after I just vomited through yeah. um, Chicago Marathon and got and still managed to qualify, you know, things like yeah. that will stay in your mind and you know and urge you on to just prove everybody wrong and make sure that you know you get to at the end of the day finish off your career with all of those goals ticked you know and then just move on to something else yeah yeah so I love that that's what it's been about people wrong (laughs) like you know (laughs) and even now like when you think about actually that's that leads me to my next question. When you, like when you broke your sacrum and you and you found out you were pregnant and and you had your first baby, that could have been a time when you could have said, "Well, I'm I'm going to give up, you know, elite running now, and I'm just going to focus on being a mom and and my career, and I'm I'm just going to run for fun, and I'm not going to strive towards those goals." Or even now, like you know, you're, you've turned forty, you're over forty now, and and people obviously people say to you you're too old or whatever. Is that something that has always been there? Like you said, you still had things to achieve. So in both those times, once when you became a mom, and then I guess if you were to have any more kids, if you did that again, or, you know, if you, you know, a few years down the track, or even now when you've turned 40, there's obviously still that spark inside you, that, that unfinished business, those goals that you haven't ticked off yet, that keep you going and motivated. Yeah. Yeah. And look, when we decided to, you know, it kind of was a logical point when I broke my sacrum um, to, you know, to have Pete because the doctors said I'd need three months off. It was a, a funny experience, actually, because the doctors said I'd need three months off when I broke my sacrum. And um, and I ended up pushing the boundaries a little bit with the physio because he was like, oh, you've got nothing to lose. You're in, you know, you've got a really great opportunity for Glasgow to, to win the Commonwealth Games. So, um, let's take four weeks off and get on the Ultra G and see if you can get back early. And if you can, bonus, we might be all right. And you might be able to get back on and um, be ready for the games in time. And if not, the way you haven't lost anything. Mm. Uh, and also being a distance runner, I thought, oh, I said to Locker, 
getting pregnant is probably going to take us months, but let's try. And we got pregnant with Pete in a month, but also the Alter G chain, uh, that whole program of fast tracking this injury worked as well. So I was actually um, running, <laughs> running really well after a month, but then, but then after four weeks later, I got that whole pregnancy exhaustion and went oh my god there's something wrong with me um yeah. and it was neat <laughs> so they both kind of worked at the same time um so I got uh but uh you know obviously being a mum is the best thing in the world and so I'm really glad it worked out the way it did and uh but at that time we also had decided look if we can't if I can't run again after this well so be it you know like it's been a really fun experience we've traveled the world together Locke and I and had so much fun even though you know it's been sprinkled with some disappointment but in the main it's been really fun and mm. if that was it that was it you know and but it, the good thing is that it wasn't it and mm. our hobby continued and yeah and took us on this journey and yeah. brought me towards running mums and you know all that stuff so yeah so I figure one day I just like I'll never retire I'll always be a runner so just one day I'll stop entering races and yeah nominating for teams and yeah. I'll just disappear in terms of elite running but I'll still be a runner so yeah because it's my hobby really that's, more than anything love right yeah that's it's part of who you are that's right mm, definitely um I wanted to find out too I've got one of these questions in the back of my mind um how did you actually meet your husband did you meet him when you started running with the boys is that where you met <laughs> we were set up actually yeah so I used to go water running when I was always injured I used to go water running with one of my friends Tanya and uh, she was married to one of Locke's friends who was also a masua who I saw Mark and uh, so Tanya is very good at matchmaking she actually match made the Hawthorne football club coach Alistair and his wife and a couple of others so she's really pretty good at it and uh, yeah so she threatened Locke that if he didn't uh, asked me out because we we actually we'd been on a junior team together uh back when we you know 15 or something but we'd never met and yeah. both of us were pretty shy and so um yeah so we'd actually never met before and it took quite a number of months before we actually both worked out who Tanya was like before I worked out who Tanya was talking about and vice versa uh and then she threatened him with a double date if he didn't ring me and ask me for coffee or something so <laughs> we hit it off straight away because she's very good at matchmaking so <laughs> yeah it's been fantastic been now like or been together since you yeah married. oh gosh um we met actually in on the 17th of July Wow. Um, so only, yeah, we've had a, had a first date anniversary um, just recently. We got married in 08 um, and I think we, we met a few years before that. So whatever that math is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's just been a long years. time. Yeah. 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 So yeah. And it's, we, we just, yeah, we never fight. We pretty much, I think we've had one fight, Locke and I, and it was, it was at Christchurch half marathon. It was freezing. It was snowing. <laughs> Uh, when we ran and oh. we both couldn't decide at the end of the race what to eat and where to go because it was too cold outside and I think it's the only time we've ever gotten angry at each other because we were cramp crampy and cold that's right so yeah that's right I'd never oh. forget it it was yeah it was freezing so yeah it's been a it. pretty fun journey and he's running as well so how do you actually as a family um, work out because you guys train a lot together but do you also train separately a lot or is most of your training together like how do you manage that together as a family 
Yeah, so we are also helping my nephew um, get, you know, start to introduce him into running and helping him. So this last sort of 12 months, I guess it's been as yeah. well. So we've been uh, like, my sister and I have always kind of swapped children and looked after each other's children so we can both, you know, work full time and uh, look after the children and, you know, make sure that the boys are kind of more like brothers than they are cousins. So um, we do it that way, like on weekends, Pete uh, will go to Jodie's and then we'll train and then we'll take Tom for a little bit of a run as well and mm. and that sort of stuff. And then during the week, my mum usually comes over um, and helps us with a couple of our night sessions. And then the other days we'll do a tag team and just both get an easy run done here and there. So, yeah, so it's done via this very complicated calendar across the three houses, but um, somehow it works. But obviously at the moment with making sure we're not being able to be in each other's houses and with lockdown and everything, it's been very complicated. And um, we certainly didn't train very much in that first lockdown period as much in terms of intensity and we couldn't really do anything together uh, at that time because we couldn't, um, you know, take Pete to mum's or take Pete mm. to Jodie's. So, yeah, so that first lockdown was a big shock to the system mm. uh, and we certainly enjoyed the time when we were all free for a little bit, but now we'll work this out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's yeah. a huge, like, hurdle to jump over, I guess, and what, what, I mean, I know you've got your gym set up now in your new house. So did you find that you were doing a lot more runs on the treadmill at that time than you would normally do? Yes, yes, yeah. definitely. So we were just fortunate that we had that. So, you know, all the other years I've done heat training in the, you know, on an exercise bike in the back room with 4,000 boxes and, mm. you know, the floorboards falling apart. One time, actually, we were worried that the, the ceiling was going to come in on lock one day um, oh, gosh. in the training, when we were training for Rio in the old house. Um, so, yeah, we certainly haven't had this lavish uh, gym for most of my career, but given the virus, the timing of the virus to certainly be finished building and in this home um, and not renting, you know, a two bedroom dog box and all of yeah. that. Like we have nothing to complain about, you know, yeah. that we could have been stuck in that point in, in our lives and be in yeah. lockdown as well. And then we'd be nutty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that um, because you haven't got well you've obviously still got the olympics in the back of your mind but at this period of time when there's such uncertainty around anything <laughs> um yeah. how do you find training with that uncertainty yeah how look the first that? yeah so the first lockdown because i've i'd ran osaka and and in my mind as soon as that all happened i didn't think the olympics was going to go ahead or nor did i or if it did i didn't think i was going to go because it, it's too unsafe and mm. you know you hear all the aftermath of what happens to you if you get it and i don't really want to live with that for the rest of my life so i wasn't going to you know risk it for one race but um so we just went into a real down phase we i had a really hectic uh, time at work just um, looking after all of our people in the role that I was in and yeah. making sure all the um, our offshore team was who are landed in Australia were taken care of because they couldn't get home and all these things that were really way more important than any running goal at the time I was focused on all of that and then making sure Pete was okay and and getting him through his schoolwork and and all of that so that first period I you know we did some runs in the treadmill but it was hit and miss and it certainly wasn't an elite athletes training program. Yeah. Uh, and then once that started, the numbers started to improve, 
then we started to do a little bit more and then get back into that sort of maintenance phase. So we've been doing a couple of sessions a week, not the same level of mileage, but just being in a position where we're just holding a nice level of fitness. I wouldn't go and race a 10K or a marathon right now, for example, but uh, once we know that we've got, you know, three months until the next race, then that's when we'll just kick it in and, um, and focus, you know, 100% on on a training build up and really get the times down again. So we're just trying to keep that level. So we're not doing too much, but just enough to flick the switch and then go forward in, you know, three months from whatever that period may be. Hmm. Cause I guess too, like not only do you have, you know, the training to consider, but there's extra stress in life at the moment. Mm. Like you've got that extra stress of being in lockdown, not being able to do the things you normally would do, or even how to do those things you would normally do. Like even doing the grocery shopping is, different now like it's and then you've got homeschooling on top of that like all those extra stresses play a big role in your recovery as well so that's right yeah yeah Yeah, you just uh you've got to keep things a bit real and I don't really want to be in a situation where I'm just constantly pushing myself uh you know those really hard sessions you know we're still doing a few good quality sessions but you don't want to be on that edge when the virus is out there at the moment, you know, you just want to be making sure you're healthy and you're fit and that you can then switch. I mean, it's not like here in Melbourne, a race is going to be, you know, held next week, you know, so we've got that. Yeah. We're going to get some warning of, uh, you know, we sort of had a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, Unfortunately it's gone backwards, but you know, with South Australia, I've already had, you know, had races and, um, you know, hopefully uh, by Christmas we are running. You know, hopefully Zetapet can be on in December. So, you know, you, you're sort of in the back of your mind just thinking, well, maybe track can come back in a different form here uh, by December. And then that gives you a good, you know, good chance. And it look, it's cold in Melbourne. So if you start kicking things in in sort of mid-August and then, you know, you, that means you've got September, October and they're all the nice months to train anyway and then think about doing something next year as a you know being super fit for something next year and that's Mm. I mean it'll be a a fantastic for everybody if we're all able to do something at least in Australia in the new year which is cross-border yeah it'll be a celebration that's for sure that's right good too to just have those goals like even though we're uncertain whether they're going to happen I think it's good to have something working that you're working towards anyway in the back of your mind. It keeps you motivated. That's right. Connected. It keeps you moving towards the target. Whereas if you didn't have that goal, I think you'd probably fall in a little bit more despair. So yeah. 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 And so we've, um, Locke has set, you know, a couple of sort of eight weeks from now, we might do our own little mini time trial, 10 K time trial and a little, you know, a park run and a park run course, but not on the park run day, you know, we'll yeah. do it in the midweek or something like that. We've just got a couple of things that, you know, in two or three months from now that we'll try and hit certain things. And that's yeah. sort of building up towards that summertime in the hope that, you know, we then can, you know, do something more after that. So, yeah, yeah definitely. But there was no real point to keep going at the start of the year when it was very unlikely that any marathons would go ahead this year. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of questions from RMAs when I told them that I was going to be interviewing you. At that time, they didn't know this was going to be a podcast. I asked lots of questions because I wanted to know what the girls probably would like to ask you. So I'm going to go through some of those things now. Um, And most of them are about kind of similar things that we've touched on, but 
how you kind of work things out day to day. Um, I guess people look um, at people that are elite level runners and, and I think that what I really love about you, Lisa, is that you keep it really real. I think a lot of people can almost um, put elite runners on this pedestal and think that everything's just so easy for them, but you really tell everybody how real your life is and you're just like everybody else. You juggle everything just like everybody else. Um, and I think that's like why everybody really connects with you so well is because you're real and authentic in the way that you approach your life and your running and connecting with other girls and other women that want to run as well. So what was it, what is it like to sometimes run through the brutal cold of the Melbourne winter? And What's that? Cleaner. They're two very different questions. But let's start with the Melbourne winter. The Melbourne um, winter, yes. So what, how do you get yourself at the door when you get home? It could be like 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. and you've got to go out for a training run in winter. What's yes. that like? Minus, I would imagine that's like minus five in Melbourne. Oh, it's not too bad. It doesn't get to that. So first, early in the morning, if you're going out at a 6 a.m., you might get a few of those minus days. Um, but that, yeah, that's generally few and far between. It's not quite that bad in Melbourne. <laughs> but if you go to Ballarat, then you'll get a few of them. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, probably eight or nine is probably what it would be. Okay. Trying to do a track session at eight, oh. eight or nine degrees in the evening at about 6, 6.30 p.m. that's brutal Uh, and if it's windy then it's even worse (laughs) but yeah look the way we were doing it uh, I'm doing a lot of now we're all working from home but when we weren't doing that I was also doing part-time at home and part-time at the office just with the role I've been doing Uh, less time on client sites and a bit more internal stuff and what Locke and I would do is uh, my mum would come over to my place um, and I would drive down um, about two and a half K to the train station and Locke would jump off the train from coming in from work to the city and jump in the car. We'd get changed in the car. It was dark, so no one could see us. Uh, We'd get changed in the car and then we'd warm up from there down to the track at Melbourne Uni and do our session and sometimes meet a couple of the other guys from the squad uh, and then run back to the car. And then by the time we get home, it'd be sometimes 20 to nine. Um, So, and then mum would, sometimes mum would be in bed with Pete reading or they'd both fall asleep together, which is pretty cute. (laughs) And then we'd, we'd have a shower and just like, yeah, just flake on the couch, the two of us (laughs) pretty much. So that's a typical training working schedule, non-COVID when we're in a training block and yeah, probably eight, nine degrees. Uh, And then we'd be crazy enough to then drive from Melbourne some weekends and spend the weekend with Locke's parents in Creswick, which is just outside Ballarat, mm. and that would be extra cold in the mornings. <laughs> and would you keep, like, on those days when you're running a long run, would you be, like, what would you be wearing in Ballarat? Um, I still wear shorts when I'm trying mm. to run quick because I just don't feel like I'm training if I wear leggings. Yeah. Uh, but if it's just warm-ups and things like that, then, yeah, I'll rug up. Yeah. Then quickly, yeah. But I'd always be in a long sleeve. Uh, and then what we did last year, I think it, because of the Olympics um, and Com Games, et cetera, have been in warmer climates, we have done some stints away, mm. but not long enough. Um, so we'd, I'd had to replicate a lot of the heat training work yeah. um, in a gym type arrangement. Uh, but last year we decided, and in the lead up to 2016 Rio Games, we went for four weeks up to Queensland and stayed yeah. in Noosa and and yeah. trained there so yeah so now that but that's just because we're a bit older and we've been able to 
get ourselves in a position where we can afford to do that because yeah. you know when you're a bit younger we haven't had the money to be able to just go to Noosa for a month yeah, and no. pay rent you know so right. yeah so it's been uh and then yeah so it's been a situation where we could do that mm, yeah definitely. all right the next question who would you say is your greatest influence in your running career and why now, this doesn't have to be a runner, but someone that inspired you and kept you going mentally, the voice of reason inside your head when things got hard. I think probably dad has been the biggest influence. Yeah. So, you know, he, uh, you know, he brought up a family, you know, a family of four on, you know, on a good job, but nothing outrageous. And when I think about how he brought my sister and I up and working, you know, like me, basically, he worked as a footy coach and as a um, draftsman. So he had two things going and he put exactly the same amount of uh, effort into both of those things like I do with running. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, so I guess my life has, has been very similar to him. Uh, but I think one thing from his perspective is that he always taught Jodie and I to just keep persisting, like that no matter what, no matter how hard it gets, uh, just keep going because you never know what you might achieve if you do that. And and so that's had the, the biggest impact in driving me and, and creating that sort of, you know, that personality trait that's in me that's kept me, you know, on this path. Yeah. Um, and then day to day, obviously Dick Telford, my coach, and, and Lachlan have been the ones to to drive day to day so uh, sometimes I laugh because I think Lachlan sometimes likes running more than I do so um, <laughs> so he pushes me out the door sometimes more than when I'm totally at my wits end of exhaustion mm. and you know because mums you know we, the mums do all the mum stuff like yeah. I know that sounds very yeah. traditional but you know I do the cooking it's and reality. it's just yeah. reality and we kind of take over stuff and we can't help yeah. ourselves at times and yeah um, it's just, just how it is and for most of us and so we get ourselves more exhausted because of our own Absolutely. takeovers, I guess. And yeah. And so he's the one to then take the other side of the things and then kind of just push me out the door when I'm going, I can't do this, you know? <laughs> so yeah, he's my voice of reason. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Nice or he might thing. yell at me and say, would you just relax if I sound like I'm about <laughs> to die doing a rep behind him or something? Yeah. <laughs> Just and like how nice <laughs> that you actually get to spend like not everybody has a husband that runs but That's I know right. you know at the beginning of the year my husband was training with me for an event it was really nice to spend that time together it was yeah. really nice quality time I really enjoyed that I wish that he would start running again just so I had him with me for that time and it was something that we really enjoyed together and time away from the kids and just our time that's right. We must really value that too. We've lost. Yeah, that was the hard, the hard part of that first lockdown because we'd been so used to running most days together, and then that was taken away from us for that extended period. So that at that point, I lost a bit of, you know, I lost the plot a little bit because yeah. also being um, being the female, and sadly, you know, we had a a, um, a sexual attack just where we train and the day before I'd ran exactly that spot at exactly that time at six o'clock at night in beautiful sunshine in summer and, and a poor girl was attacked there in, you know, and it was just hard to even believe that this happened in this well open spot, you know? Um, So I don't feel that comfortable sometimes running on my own. And so, 
all that stuff happened at exactly the same time as the lockdown. And so it was like, oh, you can't help sometimes, but feel a bit sorry for yourself mm-hmm. um, and, and go, oh, now I have to run on my own and now it's scary yeah. and this has yeah. happened, you know, and you play all that out and, yeah. um, you know, and, but then you find other ways, we, you know, to get out there. But we just really missed that time that we have together to do our thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Especially when you're going to work all day and then, you know, that's the kind of time you've got and it's quality time. It's not mm. like, you know, talking over trying to cook and put kids to bed and this and that. It's quality time. That's right. Just that okay. chat, catch up time, that's which is right. what you can do with your, with, you know, when the girls have their running mums groups, yeah. they have that same, you know, that same friendship. Well, I just, I have it with Locke and, yeah. and you love that time because it's not, you're not doing any, you're just getting that time to chat and, you know, mm complain about stuff and support each other through things. And we kind of do that when we go running and Mm. um, yeah, and debrief on things and plan other things, you know, Exactly. and Um, I don't have a cleaner by the way. And you don't have a cleaner. Okay. We'll start that question. Okay. I thought you had a cleaner. I wish I had a cleaner, but no. I think we all wish we had a cleaner. Um, Okay. I fly by the seat of my pants with cleaning. (laughs) I just go, that's messy. Yeah. And I get out the random. I'm probably like meant to be going to bed and I'll see that, you know, there's something on the mirror and then I start just cleaning that randomly at that time. You know, that's my cleaning regime. Sorry, whenever it can get done. Yeah. Um, okay, what does a typical week during competition look like for you in your training? So if you were working towards a really big goal, um, are you consumed like most days with training as soon as you get in the door from work? Uh, not really. Honestly, Pete comes first in this house. Um, so everything is about making sure he's fine and, and probably Thomas is a secondary, you know, even though he's my nephew, I, it's making sure Pete and Thomas are sorted. And then, then, you know, my sister Locke and I, we come next and yep. mum and dad support us all to achieve everything. So that's kind of how the hierarchy works. Um, and yeah, so we do, we do that. We, sometimes we'd miss sessions, even for an important thing like the Olympics. Yeah. You know, you can't not feed your child. And if and and my heart would break. Like if if Pete would say, "Mum, please don't go now. I don't want you to go." You know, I don't I don't want you to go running now. I don't want you to go running. And like, you know, how do you just leave this cute face? You know, I, you know, there's times where that's happened, and we just haven't gone. You know, and then we'll have to make it up, or you know, things like that. So he's, but you know, that doesn't happen that often with him. He's sort of used to our regime now. Yeah. Um, but you know, those things happen and you kind of can't beat yourself up about it. You just got to keep, keep, you know, doing it the best you can with all of these things and Mm -hmm. trying to hit as much of the training as you can. Yeah. Mm. Okay. During a race, what does your nutrition and hydration strategy look like? You don't have to go into huge detail. (laughs) What do you like to use in a race for your nutrition? Uh, so I started using after Chicago because of that experience and I won't go into that gory detail. I couldn't, uh, the idea of what I had back then, I won't say what it was cause there's nothing wrong with the products. It's just that in my mental state now, I just can't even think about the flavor or the texture of any of it. So I scrapped the entire thing that I've used for 10 years. Um, and I worked with the, with Jess Rothwell, the dietitian from the Institute of Sport and we put together a plan which I used and trialled throughout all of Christmas Uh, and then the idea was that because I was training through summer um, for Osaka 
if that worked in Osaka, then I would use that for Tokyo. And so I've changed to product called 32GI. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really love that. It worked perfectly. I had no upset in any of my training sessions. And I, I actually, um, in Jess's assessments of me and all the, um, so we did a whole lot of a revamp and lots of appointments and conference calls and worked out what I was consuming. And um, she put me on a bit more fuel. So she didn't think that I was consuming enough for what I was doing. Mm. And so uh, we upped that and tested that throughout the Christmas training period. And so I take in more than what I was taking before and, and it worked for a suck. So I've only had one marathon to, uh, to you know, have as my data point. So, um, yeah, once we start again and get back into that marathon regime, we'll do a bit more testing and um, in preparation for whatever I run next. So, yeah, but it worked pretty well. Oh, awesome. But trial it, that's yeah, the key. That's um, the key, right? Yeah. And not everything works forever. I that's right. So well, that's what I found. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, then something else happens and you're like, I can't take anything that tastes like orange ever again. Vomiting <laughs> <laughs> orange. I'm going to raspberry now. <laughs> anything but orange. <laughs> um, okay. I wanted to talk about um, also, you know, you had your fair share of those injuries in the past, stress fractures, um, stress reactions, and you have talked about how that you didn't pay particular attention to your recovery in your program a long time ago. Um, but now have that, has that changed? Do you pay more attention now to recovery in your training? Yeah. So I think I know now, and, you know, having Dick Telford obviously um, has, you know, helped that process because, mm -hmm. I understand every session. I understand the physiolo physiology around every session I do. So um, that's where it's for someone who's analytical, that helps because you know why you're doing something. And then mentally you get a bit more out of it because you know that if I do this or hit this time, um, you know, or if he tells you to do something that's quite challenging, you know, there's a purpose behind that and why and what that's going to help you achieve. Mm. So that's been um, one aspect that's helped me. Um, the other is that older, I think that being an older athlete has helped in terms of the body just adapting to that load. Uh, and the other piece is that I am better, like I was saying earlier, I'm better at prioritising things. Whereas when I got all those injuries, I was young, um, I was just flying by the seat of my pants with everything. Like I'd, I'd started back when I got a lot of the injuries. I was a graduate at PricewaterhouseCoopers. I was probably working 75 hours a week. Sometimes I was going in for, um, you know, because I work in IT. So sometimes we had to, on the client that I was working on, we'd have to go in at two in the morning and do a code release, you know. You can't train and, you know, you can't operate like an elite athlete when you've worked all day yeah. on this major project and then gone for a run in between and eaten something and then got in a taxi back to the office and, you know, done worked from 2am and then maybe sometimes that didn't go that well and then you'd be just not going home and you'd be still working on that during the day. And, yeah, so that kind of lifestyle, um, although now, it, like, all those things that I've done in my life have been a um, the reason I'm in the position I'm in now, so I don't regret any of that, but they certainly weren't things that an elite athlete or yeah. wanting to, you know, hoping to be elite athlete would be doing you know very different to those I compete against mm. so yeah and now I don't work 75 hour weeks but yeah but you do those things because that's you know my 
my uh, professional career was just as important to me as my running career mm. uh, because that's you know that's what was then going to shape me if running didn't work out and and certainly that's what's paying the bills because running doesn't pay the bills so mm. yeah so I don't regret any of that but that's just you know you've just got to balance yeah. and appreciate at the time I also was very focused on becoming this runner and why isn't this happening for me and da 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 and not giving, even when I was injured, I wasn't giving myself a break. Mm. Whereas now if I'm injured, I'm just, that's it, I'm out. I don't cross train like a crazy person. Yeah. Just go for a walk or whatever I can do within the realms of yeah. recovery. Because obviously the injury is about telling the body that, hey, you're doing too much, you know. Mm. So I respect that. Definitely. Um, I thought we'd touch here now about that because in talking about, you know, the fact that you have this balance in your life in terms of um having your career and training as an athlete and an elite level athlete, you know, moving through those ranks. How do you think in terms of our sport, especially in Australia now and other women and men, but let's talk about the women in this scenario, training towards an elite level. How do you think, you know, our sport could be better in terms of preparing them for that? Um, Do you think that, anyone's doing that well at the moment like is are people actually preparing women who are training towards this elite level to be able to withstand I guess the different things that might come their way so for you for example you know you were training up and then you fell pregnant and what did that look like in terms of your training and and transitioning to that and then moving back into sport had if you chose to do that you know if someone was to choose to go back into an elite level like is there support for that in our sport in Australia, in running, um, and how can people help with that, you know, in those yeah. executive levels or whatever is behind the scenes in athletics? Yeah, look, certainly not for me. There wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't on, you know, what we have is um, National Athletic Scheme funding. So um, there's a committee that will get together and decide who, which athlete, Australian athletes they will fund and they'll fund them on various tiers. Mm. Um, so I said, but having said that, like I was never funded at the highest level anyway, or um, uh, I think when I was, um, even just before I was pregnant, I was only on Commonwealth Games funding, which is just medical. So you just mm. get your physio paid for, which is great. So don't get me wrong. It's nice yeah. to have those things covered because you need those things. But uh, it certainly wasn't, you know, a career and a, an opportunity to, to run full time. Um, I think things have changed recently um, with Jess. So Jess has been able to keep her funding while she's been pregnant um, and is still on that sort of um, good level of funding and able, you know, has been able to uh, work through her maternity leave period knowing she's she's on that level of funding. But that certainly didn't, uh, wasn't the case for me. Yeah. So the support is out there, I guess, um, for some people. And in terms of transitioning, like we've talked about this before, just together in, in private about transitioning from sport. Like, I think it's really great that you have a career behind you. Is that something that you think that people should be encouraging athletes to have, like moving up through the ranks to have something extra? I mean, I know a lot, you know, there is that delicate balance, I guess, between being an elite, a level athlete and training and working or studying but do you think more than anything that is something really important for people to have because one day you know there could be an injury there could be something a lot a major life event that means that none of that actually is going to happen anymore for them 
Yeah, but I think it's also definitely something that everyone's going to be different because they're going to have a different background. They're going to have, you know, different upbringing, different goals and value systems. Um, you know, that some athletes, you know, may put everything into that one athletic basket because, you know, they believe that they've got this opportunity to, you know, you know, hit the top and nothing's going to stand in their way. And then that's their decision and the path they take. And they may not be um, good at juggling things, you know, not everyone's good at the same, you know, same thing. So I think it all needs to, and, and, the, and they're trying to, like they have been trying to, in our sport, uh, we've got welfare officers and stuff, which have sort of just come into the, into the fold in the last few years. But um, I think everyone's is a case by case situation because, you've got different sports, different age groups, different circumstances. As a marathon runner, you can have blocks of training and you can generally train at home. But if you're a track and field athlete, um, you know, or a thrower or something like that, um, your competition is generally in Europe and you need to be able to go places to, in order to get those times. So it's not as easy to hold down a job. Yeah. So everyone's circumstances, I think, is a little bit different. And so, um, and it's also personality driven, you know, some people might, um, you know, just want that outlet outside of sport and other people might just want to be totally engulfed. So, yeah, so I think it's really case by case, but but certainly uh, my advice to anyone that's doing um, any sport really that you want to have a backup plan because also when you finish, you know, you're trying to run at the very highest level for the country and for some that transition out of that mode must be quite challenging. For me, it won't be because my life's going to be exactly the same. Like I said earlier, I just won't enter races um, because I'll have decided that I've, you know, achieved what I can in the sport. Um, but for others to go from winning races and being at the top of the game to then having nothing mm -hmm. and no plan, that would be very hard for me to cope with. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so I guess that's when you need a good support network around you that's outside of the sport to help keep you grounded. Mm, absolutely. That's most certain. So I wanted to talk briefly about um, just being a mum and what you love about being a mum. You're such a hands-on mum. I love that you get right in there with Pete and I love all the things that you share on your social media. He's always creating stuff and playing with stuff. So what was the things that you've loved most about becoming a mum? Uh, I just, I've been lucky that I have been pretty hands-on with my nephew, Tom, as well. So he's my little champ. Just, you know as well as as Pete and we've got such a strong relationship and that's been nice because I've been able to kind of practice being a mum without being the mum as such and um yeah. and you know yeah and so that's been lovely like a lovely transition into motherhood I guess and and then my sister's very close with Pete and so she does you know she now um has lots of fun being aunt, fun aunt you know with him and uh, so I was really, I've always wanted to be a mum since I was little and I played dolls and Barbies, all those, all those things that we do. Uh, and yeah, look, we, um, Locke and I are very hands-on, as you said, everything on social media is, is the real us and, mm. and we love playing games with Pete. We play garbage trucks a lot, uh, which can, <laughs> because he's totally obsessed with garbage trucks. Uh, but I love seeing him learn. Like he's, he's got such an excited personality. Like he just bubbles and, and, you know, things just flick off him, you know, and he just bounces onto the next thing and he's just full of life and energy. And it's so nice to, 
have that positivity around uh, around the house because you know it's just it's it's infectious. Mm. Uh, I wish I could do like every mum, you know. I wish I could do more. Like I loved Kinder drop off. I cried when Kinder was finished last year because I just love doing Kinder drop off and pick up and chatting with the mums and and seeing these little faces on the mat listening to the story and all of that just you know I probably should have done something you know been a kinder teacher or something yeah. but uh, it's just I never <laughs> yeah that's that's you know I just I just really enjoyed last year so much uh, and that's probably why I ran so well as well it was just such a happy year for all of us uh, and yeah and then I just find it fascinating to see the development so I find it fascinating to see you know now he's learning to read uh, and so all of a sudden, like, he'll just know these words and it'll be like, oh, you know, <laughs> these things that come, um, you know, out of, it feels like they come out of nowhere, but you're putting in so much work, but it's so rewarding to see, uh, to have happy children, healthy children and, and uh, just to watch them grow. What do you think would be one thing that you would love Pete to say about you if, he's watching, you know, if he's watching your journey and as he gets older, what would be one thing that you would love that Pete would know or remember about you during this time or period in your life? I think the thing that I would love for him to know is that, uh, is about taking care of each other, that mum took care of me and made me safe all the time because that's something that we you know, that we cherish and that we're focused on knowing, you know, making sure that he knows that he's safe and loved and looked after. Um, yeah. So that's probably the main thing from where he's at. He doesn't understand the running as much yet. Uh, he's still a bit little uh, to appreciate, you know, like shoes might come to the door. Like he get if the, here's the postman during the week and some running shoes have arrived and he'll hear the postman and he'll go bounding down the hallway to the postman and grab these, you know, and open the door, hoping it's a toy for him. <laughs> and then he'll bring it to me, go, who's it for? What is it, mum? And I'll say, ah, oh, it's shoes, Pete. It's shoes for mum. Oh, shoes again. He'll say. <laughs> so he hasn't quite. A garbage truck. That's right. So he's like, yeah. So he hasn't quite. And then Locke will say, and he said to Locke, actually, why's mum get so many shoes? <laughs> so, yeah, so he hasn't quite, just, even being at the Com Games, I think he fell asleep through half the Com Games race because he uh, had to get up at 4.30 that morning to get to the, you know, to the start line. And yeah. uh, he hasn't quite, you know, and, and our trips, you know, when we go to New York mm -hmm. and Chicago, you know, the girls like, you know, Anna and the girls, Amanda and, they, they've seen him you know they he's just on an adventure like yeah. he doesn't realize like oh yeah mum's just gone for you know you go and run this marathon this major world marathon and you know mum's just gone for a run you know she'll be back well, soon right. <laughs> I mean, his mom it's like he's just yeah. seeing the world and experiencing but that's something really special that he'll remember that and he'll look back that's on right. that when he's older and go you know he won't remember the time on the clock he might remember when you know well, he probably won't remember, well, no, he won't remember it because he was so little, you know, when you've got medals and things like that, he'll remember that my mum was still there for me through all that process. My mum still made me feel safe yeah. and loved and connected and wanted. She didn't yeah. put your side for her dreams. She that's right. She become part of that. So that's really the lessons that he's going to learn from you is that my mum was there. Yeah. She was there and she was present. And that's what I see when I see everything you put out to the world is that you're present and you're there, which I think is really all little kids need 
to that's know. right yeah and he does remember like he remembers sunny coast and how yeah. much how happy we were at the end of sunshine coast you know because that was a huge um achievement what we did there as a family and um he often says hey mum remember how happy we were when you broke the record Aww. and he you know and he'll just come out with that random thought occasionally when we're in a context of doing something related to running and yeah. um so you know he he can he's old enough to pick up on those yeah. those moments because he was there and he was part of that you know and and that's pretty fun and oh look he's got a competitive nature so um he's got something in there that under you know he's and and he can run he's not totally into running yet but he certainly has an engine there somewhere because he um we've taken him on a couple of laps of the block here and there so uh, we'll see we'll see what he becomes one day yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'm going to ask you now what I call on the podcast and I'm asking all our guests the same questions. It's called the RMA Hot Lap and it's just okay. five quick questions about things that you love about running um, and your life. So the first one is, and we'll end with these questions, what is mm -hmm. your favourite race fuel? So you said uh, yes, 32 GI. Great. Oh, where can people get that, by the way? Uh, there's the website 30tgi.com.au, I think it is, but, you know, message me on Instagram and I'll send it through. Um, I actually ran with, this is not a fast lap here, but um, <laughs> I actually ran with the distributor Magnus is a very long term friend of mine and I ran with his wife for many, many years. Uh, and so, yeah, so it's a um, bit of a, bit of a friendship relationship there too and nice right. to support his business. Yeah. Love that. Uh, what is your favourite thing to wear when running? One thing. Fast shoes. What's your favourite shoe? Oh, I can't narrow it down. I'll oh. tell you that. No, I can't narrow it down. I've got a few. Okay, what shoe did you few. wear when you qualified for Tokyo? I wore uh, the Nike Next Percent. Love it. What colour were they? Pink. Okay, this isn't part of the five questions. <laughs> Not my favourite thing to do. Right. Um, one thing you can't go without on the long run. Lachlan. Oh, love that. <laughs> Too boring on my own. What would happen if you didn't have Lachlan on the long run? <laughs> I'd have all these thoughts and I'd be like, oh, we only at 10K or <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm tired. I went to the next drink. <laughs> that guy looks like an axe murderer up ahead. <laughs> talking in Lockham's ear how long to go right I get it um what is your favorite running moment to date that would have to be winning Melbourne Marathon I know it's not the record anymore but at the time uh it was really special because Thomas was there at the finish line to give me a big hug and we'd put a lot into that kind of that training block and train through Melbourne we didn't go anywhere for that uh that race and all of my family and friends and my coach were all there in the stands. So I was able to finish that race and have everybody there. So yeah, it wasn't until Gold Coast where I had that again, but I think that was that very first marathon where every single person I loved was there. Mm, and that's the connection, right? It's about the people and sharing that experience together. One word, this is the last question, one word to sum up your experience so far. Full. Mm, I love that. Definitely has been. Well, thanks for joining us, Lisa. Thank you. Lovely to get to spend some time with you this afternoon. Mm, enjoy the rest of your week and um, hopefully you can get through this 
next lockdown period and move on to exciting things to come. Thanks. You stay safe and make sure it doesn't head your way, okay? (laughs) Well, I hope you loved this conversation with Lisa. What an amazing woman and what an amazing life that she has led up to this point. I really love giving you an insight into her life as an elite runner, um, an Olympian, but also the life that she leads as a wife and a mum. I really hope you enjoyed the conversation. I found it really inspiring that no matter what level we participate in our sport, um, as mothers, we're all connected and united in this space. Um, And that, you know, if we keep going with the passion that we have in our heart for what it is that we want to do, that's going to bring us the most joy. So thanks for joining me for this episode of the RMA podcast. If you love this episode, I'd love you to go on and hit subscribe. Please rate and review and of course, share this with your friends. Until next time.